Psalm 15, Psalm 15, here we go. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest, does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Father, we uh, ask for your guidance today as, as we open up your word. And Father, these are sacred words. These, these are your words inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Father, we submit ourselves under them. We submit ourselves to them. We ask, Father, that uh, you would take us to Jesus quickly, Lord, that uh, we might embrace our righteousness in him. And Lord, as we, as we bask in what you have done for us, I pray that you would use this text to practically sanctify us. God, to change the way that we speak and the way that we make commitments and the way that we um, see those in need. God, I pray that you would make us more like your son, Jesus. Father, we give you this time. We pray that you would change us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the question that Psalm 15 opens up with in verse 1 is, who's, who's going to be with God? Who, who gets to hang out with God? Who gets to dwell with Him? Who gets to be in His tent? Who gets to live on His holy hill? Uh, who, who gets to be with God? What an incredible question, first of all. Uh, I mean, I mean, let, let me just ask it this way. Do you want that? Like, like, did you come here today and that, that's like something you really want. That's something you're dreaming of. That's something that, uh, that you're anticipating. I, I guess another way to ask it is, how exciting is it to you to think about being with Jesus forever, okay? Being close to him, spending time with him. You know, probably one of the ways that we could uh, we could answer that maybe, and, and this is maybe a scary way, but one of the ways that we could answer it, rather than answering with, okay, yes, I want to, or no, I don't, but one of the ways that maybe we can answer that question, how much do I want to be with God? How much do I want to dwell with Him? How much do I want to be in His tent? How much do I, you know, how, how exciting is that to me? Probably one of the ways that we could actually practically and with some authority answer that is how much time do we spend in prayer in the Word? You know, because that, that's actually, right now for us, that is the way that we get to be with him, right? That's one of the primary ways anyway. Uh, worship, you get worship and serving and disciple making and those type of things. But maybe the way to answer that is, you know, how much do I enjoy those things? How, how, how much, how eager am I to meet him in his word? How eager am I to meet him in prayer to, to get little glimpses? And, and, and I know it's not perfect now, right? Because we have the flesh and, and it's not going to be like, it's not like what it's going to be someday, when Psalm 1611 says there'll be fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore as we're actually in his presence, you know, living with him as our king in the new heavens and the earth. But, but, but it does help me to think, okay, how important is that to me? And, and how, however important I say it is ought to be reflected by how, how much I seek to be with him in the word and in prayer. You know, I, I think if your answer is not much, uh, I think if your answer is, you know, very little desire to be in his presence, to dwell with him, to hang out in his tent, to be on his holy hill, uh, I just wonder if you really know him. 
Um, I think if your motive here today is I want things from him, but I really am not that interested in actually being with him, then I, I don't think you've seen him. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think you, you, you know who we're talking about here. I'm reminded of that little uh, exchange in John chapter 4 where Jesus walks up to a well and there's a Samaritan woman there and Jesus like invites her, you know, hey, get, would you give me a drink? And you know, starts asking her questions and she's, she's just like bored with him. You know, she's like, why are you talking to me? Uh, she's kind of rude to him. And, and Jesus answers her in this way in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would given, have given you living water. In other words, Jesus is like, you know what, if, if you knew who you were talking to and if you knew what I had to give, if you knew what I had to offer, man, you would be asking. You, you'd be wanting to be with me. And I, I think that's how I feel about about this passage here is when we read, you know, who gets to sojourn in your tent? Who gets to dwell in your holy hill? I think if, if, we have, if we answer that with, eh, I don't think we know who we're talking about. I don't think we know the one that we're, we're, we're talking about. But anyway, so do, do, you want, do you want to be with God? Do you want to, you know, dwell with him? Okay, well, who gets to do that? Well, the answer is in verse 2. Okay, so the question's in verse 1. The answer is in verse 2. Okay, ready? All right, here's who's, who gets to be with God. Verse 2. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue. We can probably just stop reading right there, okay? Let's just stop right there. And I guess initially the answer would be none of us, right? I mean, true, right? Is that, is that, is that accurate? Uh, wow, we don't even have to finish it. Uh, the answer is who gets to be with God? The one who's blameless. Well, that's not any of us, right? Um, this is kind of the way the Sermon on the Mount starts, right? If you remember that famous sermon in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus talks about, um, well, he starts out, let me tell you, he starts out the sermon. He starts out the sermon by saying, if your righteousness does not exceed, this is in Matthew 5.20, if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees and scribes, you'll never enter the kingdom of God, you know? And then we're all like, oh, oh no, you know, and then it gets worse because he goes on with the sermon and he's like, well, you've heard it said that, you know, you know, don't commit murder. But I tell you, if you've been angry with your brother without a cause, you've murdered in your heart. And we're like, all of us are out right there. You know, number one, first strike, we're all out. You know, then he goes on to say, you know, if you've, if you've lusted you've heard it say, uh, don't commit adultery, but if you lusted after someone in your heart, you've already committed, you know, strike two, we're all out. You know what I mean? He's just boom, boom, boom. He just cleans us all out and, and we're all left saying, all right, none of us. None of us, we, there's, there's none of us who are blameless, right? Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. And, and so, so what we find out real quickly is Psalm 15 is not steps to get to heaven, okay? This is not your eternal life checklist. That's not the purpose of this psalm, all right? That, that's not the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount. The purpose of those passages is not to say, okay, here's what Jesus said I need to do. So I need to do this, 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 and then I can go to heaven. Well, the problem with that is you can't do this, 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 and this. We've already blown it. We're, none of us are blameless, okay? So, so, so let's get this in perspective. There is only one who meets all these qualifications. Who, who is the one who walks blamelessly and always does what is right and speaks truth in his heart and doesn't slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor and does not take a reproach up against his friend and whose eyes of vile persons despise, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his owner and does not change, who does not put it. Who is that guy? That's Jesus, right? Jesus is the only one who actually fulfills Psalm 15. Jesus is the only one who actually lives out the Sermon on the Mount without, without any blemish, all right? Jesus is the righteous one, 
All right, now, so let's, let's, let's come to the gospel. So what do we know about the gospel? What we know about the gospel is, is that we have not been blameless. We have not lived righteously. And God sent His Son, Jesus, to live the life that we couldn't live, to fulfill all the Scriptures, to be the perfect man. And then He dies on the cross in order to take our sins upon Himself so that whoever would repent of sin and put their faith in Jesus would be tethered to Christ. We would be joined to Jesus. And that's when the book of Romans tells us we get a righteousness that's not our own. Okay, It's called imputed righteousness. What does that mean? It means it's not a righteousness you earned. It's a righteousness that God puts in you. Okay, he, he takes When you're joined to Jesus, He takes the righteousness of Jesus and puts it into your account. So now you're righteous. Righteous, not with your own righteousness, but with the righteousness that comes from Jesus, okay? So, are we all clear on that, okay? I mean, the, the thing that really scared me about today was like preaching Psalm 15 and somebody leaving here saying, all right, I'm going to watch my words better and earn my way into heaven, you know? No, it's not going to happen, all right? What we have to realize right away is none of us meets this perfectly. This is not the way to heaven. The only way to heaven is Jesus, all right, who lived the perfect life and then who died a death on your behalf. And your only hope is to get his righteousness in your account by faith in him. All right, so having said that, what is the practical purpose of Psalm 15 then? Well, Psalm 15, kind of like the Sermon on the Mount, describes the practical sanctification that God is going to work in you once you're joined to Jesus, okay? So once you're joined to Jesus, all right, now, now God is beginning to make you practically righteous, right? Now, now you're, you're, you're legally righteous because of Jesus' righteousness in your account. But you know what? God's going to change you. God's not going to leave you in your sin. He's going to begin to change you and transform you and, and, and make you into a new creation. That's what's what the Bible says. And, and, and so Psalm 15, like many other passages in the Bible, are describing for us the work of God in your heart. All right? So as we read Psalm 15, if you're a believer, know this. God wants to do this in you. Okay? God is actively seeking. And through today, through today's message, through today's message, through this word, he's, he's going to be putting his finger on things in your life to make you practically more like his son. All right? So, so that, that, that's the, the purpose, I guess, or the, the, the way that we should read Psalm 15. All right? So who's going to dwell with God? Well, if you're in Christ, then it's you. Okay? And what's God going to be doing to, to make you ready for that? Verse 2, he who walks blamelessly. The word blamelessly means whole, sound, intact, unscathed, free from blemishes. It, it's actually, it was actually used of, uh, of victims, uh, like who, who were in a, uh, an accident or something. So, so it, would be, it would almost be like you see this terrible car crash, you know, and, and someone stumbles out of their vehicle after it's rolled four times, and they're kind of looking at themselves, and they're like, I'm not injured, <laughs> you know, there's, there's no limbs missing, I've still got 10 fingers and both my legs and, and all my body parts and somehow I came through blameless, alright, that, that's kind of the picture of this word and, and so it's not, it's not physical though, it's, it's moral, so this is the person without moral blemish, okay, I kind of think of it, you remember in the New Testament whenever Paul talks about uh, leaders in the church, he always says they should be above reproach. Remember that, that little phrase, above reproach? That's a very similar phrase to the way verse 2 is functioning when it says, he who walks blamelessly. In other words, you're living in a way that's, that's beyond reproach.
approach, okay? If here's the line, this is how we always talk about it, Lincoln. If here's the line of sin, you're not like right by it, so people can't quite tell whether you're over it or not. You're, you're living way away from the line. So you're, you're living in, in a way that is above reproach, all right? And so what does that look like, okay? So here we get into the meat, meat of things, verse 2. So first of all, what does that look like? What does it look like to be a blameless person? What is, it, what is God going to be doing in us Okay, as he makes us like Jesus, what is he doing? Well, first of all, verse 2, we're going to be people who speak truth in our hearts. All right? We're going to be people who speak truth in our heart. So verse 2 says he walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. The person of integrity is, is not only saying truth on the outside, but they're, they're saying truth on the inside. Okay? Now, let's, let's think about that. We, we're always speaking words, Right? audible words uh, that you hear, others hear. And the Bible is very clear that when you speak lies, when you speak falsehoods, when you speak exaggerations, when you speak deceptions, that is sin. And God hates it when we speak things that are not true. Okay, One, one of the reasons God hates that, and we'll talk about this several times today, is because Jesus is truth. Remember, that's how he described himself in John 14. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Okay? And, and he contrasted that in John 8 when he talked about the devil. He said the devil is a liar and the father of lies. I mean, there, there you have your polar opposites. Jesus is truth. He only speaks truth. He only points to truth. The devil is a liar. He only speaks lies. Okay? And, and so you, you, who's your father? That's, that's what, the, what John 8 says. You know, you're going to be like your father. Who's your father? Well, if it's Jesus, then you're going to gravitate toward speaking truth in your heart. Okay? One of the reasons that, that God hates it when you speak lies either audibly or even in your own heart is because it is harmful. Okay? It hurts you. It hurts your, you spiritually. It hurts your family. It hurts people around you to say things that are not true. Don't do it. You know, and, and there's lots of reasons that we say things that aren't true. Self-pity, uh, pride, anger, right? Uh, despair. But, but, but the Bible is saying you're to be someone who speaks truth in his heart and audibly. All right? So don't, don't say things that aren't true. No, no, no matter how bad you feel, no matter what's going on in your life, don't say God hates me. Don't say I'll never be happy. Don't say everyone's against me. Don't say I can't count on anyone. No one cares. No one can be trusted. I can't be forgiven. I'm too bad. I'm all alone. I deserve. I deserve this sinful pleasure. Most, most anytime you say I deserve, the rest of the sentence is going to be bad, okay? Uh, so, you, you know, that, that's just a phrase you probably want to avoid. Uh, my situation is unique. No one would expect me to, to not do this sin. God understands why I need this sin. I've been through so much that God owes me. That's another one. Anytime you say God owes me, you know, just don't finish the sentence because whatever you said is going to be a lie. Okay? One more time won't hurt. This is the last time. I'm surrounded by idiots. I hate everyone. I hate everything. Those are all lies. Right? And, and, and a million others. Okay? Don't, don't say them. It is harmful to you spiritually to say things that are false. To echo what the devil says. Right? That's really what you're doing. You're, you're, you're echoing. The devil is, is, is lying to you in order to deceive you, in order to push you into sin. And whenever you say lies, you're, 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 you're mouthing the devil. It's harmful to you spiritually. It's harmful to your family. Now, can you come back? And recover 
with an I didn't mean it. How many times do you do that, you know? You say it, it spews out, it's all over, you've created a toxic atmosphere, you've joined forces with the devil, you, you're, you're actually working against the plan of God, and you, and you realize it, and so you come back and you say, I didn't mean it, okay? And, and well, first of all, I'm not sure what that means, because actually if you said it, you did mean it at the time. What you're really saying is, I don't mean it now. I did mean it when I said it, I don't mean it now. I regret it now. Okay, that, that's legitimate, but, but still... You, we got to stop that, believers. I mean, we, we, we need to just go ahead and cut out the lies because the reality is you said it. You created a toxic atmosphere. You spread lies like a virus among your family. And here's what the Bible says. Words have power. That whole sticks and stones, break my bones, words never hurt me, that's, that's a big lie. I think the devil came up with that. That was really crafty of him, okay? Because words, words tear people apart. Words define people's lives. I, I remember a, uh, it was either a man, I think it was a man up that I did. And uh, I was doing it on, on the words that you speak. And so I went around the, the week before and I, I interviewed people and I said, you know, tell me, has anybody ever said anything to you that either marked you either in a good way or a bad way for life? I had, I had lots of people respond. Some people, I, I remember one lady, I asked her the question, she starts crying immediately. Like, like, like over something that happened decades ago, something that someone said decades ago. So, so they do matter. In fact, Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Words shape people's reality. Words create an atmosphere, an air that people breathe. Words will direct your life. L- l- listen, listen, listen to James. This is how he talks about words. Okay, so this is James 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, okay, so you see the picture there? Uh, what's in their mouth is, is actually directing them. You know, that's what tells them where to go, what, what right, left, straight, fast, slow, whatever. Okay, uh, and they obey us. We, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships, okay? So huge, huge barge, huge uh, uh, freight or tra- tanker ship, okay? Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small, in comparison, rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. And listen to this. Setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. That's always been a fascinating little phrase there at the end. Setting on fire the entire course of our life. You know, could, could it be said that, that the words that you say either to yourself and actually, the ones you say to yourself, you're eventually going to say to other people. Um, the ones you say to yourself and to others actually steer your life. Like, like it, they direct what direction your family goes, what direction your marriage goes, what direction your spiritual life goes. Word, words are important. Man, isn't it awesome that God speaks truth? Only truth. Only truth. The devil's a liar and the father of lies, but God speaks truth. This is why it's so important. This is why it's so important to know and speak God's truth. Not, not just in evangelism. You know, one of, the, one of the things that we try to do every morning in, in my Bible study with guys is whatever passage we read, then we always come back at the end and say, okay, how can we live this out? How can we obey this? And then the second question, which I think is a good one, is, is there anybody you could share this with? 
You know, not, not even just in an evangelistic way, but is there anybody that you could, you could share just the truth in here with? Just speak this truth. Could, could you speak it to your children? Could you speak it to your, your spouse? Could you speak it to your coworker? You know, is there, is there a part of God's truth? And, and why that's so important is because, man, that's a powerful thing to speak God's truth. There's this um, verse, it's one, it's one of Michelle's favorites. Uh, I don't think I put it in the sermon, but anyway, it's, uh, it's in Proverbs, and it says, um, it says, uh, the tongue, uh, let's see, there, oh, uh, there are rash words. There's one whose tongue is like sword thrust, right? Uh, there's one whose tongue is like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Is that right? Yeah. And so it's this contrast between, you know, you can either, you can, your words can either cut people up and chop things down and cause people to bleed, or they can actually heal people, you know? I mean, that's how, that's how powerful they are. And especially when we're, when we're, when those words are gospel words, man, to speak truths of the gospel to out loud and to your family, to yourself, you know, to walk through your day talking about the righteousness of Jesus, talking about, you know, the, the goodness of God, talking about how thankful you are. Man, Thanksgiving's coming up. Man, there's nothing more powerful than, than words of thankfulness to God, talking about your riches in Christ and the riches of salvation. Man, that's, that's one of the reasons every day going to school. Hey, girls, all right, Psalm 118.24, this is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 63.3, because your steadfast love is better than life, so my lips will praise you. I know they know it. They know it backward and forward. They know it since they were babies because I've just drilled it into them. Why? Why is that important? I just think I, I, I can't do everything. I can't be with them all day, but I can do this. We can start our day out speaking truth. And, and, and I guess whether you embrace it or not, I, I can't control that, but I can control the, these words. Here's the reality, girls. Here's the reality, son. This is God's day. He's made it. His steadfast love is better than life. I mean, just those words of truth. And when we create an atmosphere where we are breathing in truth day and night, just this steady, thick cloud of truth around us, we won't be deceived. When we have an atmosphere where we'll see the world rightly, and we'll see people rightly, and we'll see temptation for what it is, it's lies, and we'll have an atmosphere where we see the desires of the flesh for what Ephesians calls them, deceitful desires. And when we speak truth in our hearts and with our mouths, we breathe in the mountain air of God's glory. We're surrounded by truths of God's faithfulness, of how Jesus satisfies our soul, of how rich we are in Christ, of our colossal hope that lies before us a believer speaks truth in his heart let's keep going verse three who does not slander with his tongue my 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 another words verse none of us saw that coming did we no we did all right so we we won't slander with our tongue the word slander in in uh, in the in the new testament i'm trying to remember i should have looked this up but i think it means it's diabolos it's the word we, we use for devil malicious gossip is the word that's used for devil in the new testament in the old testament here uh it's a word that means to spy out all right um it, meaning that 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 the slander is a guy who looks for things to use against someone. Remember that verse in Proverbs? I, again, I don't have it up here, but there's a verse in Proverbs that talks about how um, the words of a whisper are like uh, delightful morse, morsels. You know, it's like little, little, little donut holes. Don't you like those at the donut shop? You know, just the little, yeah, it makes you feel like you're not eating much. I'm just eating a little hole, you know, 25 of them. But, you know, you know, just, you may, oh, they're, they're just like real tasty, right? And, and so, 
So the book of Proverbs, it says that, that's, the way, that's the way that gossip is to slander. It's like, oh, that's good. But tell me more. I want to, their marriage is breaking up? Really? He cheated on her. She cheated on him. Oh, that's, that's so sad. And inside, it's like, yeah, yummy. That's wicked. To use your tongue as a weapon, to, to have an eye out for the weaknesses or the deficiencies of others. It's not characteristic of a believer. Romans chapter 1, verse 30. Actually, it's right at the end of verse 29. And then verse 30, it says, They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God. Gossips, slanderers, haters of God. And then what's interesting is Proverbs 6, 16, 17, 18, 19. It's that passage that says, There's seven things the Lord hates. You know, or no, six things the Lord hates, seven are abomination to him. The first one's a lying tongue. And then like the fifth one is a false witness who breathes out lies. So what I guess let's summarize Romans and Proverbs. Gossips are saying, I hate God. And God is saying, I hate gossip. I hate slander. I got a great pastor friend, Galen, and I just always remember this because he, he mentions the verse so often, but one of his favorite verses is Proverbs 22.1, and it says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver and gold. A good name is better than riches. So in, in other words, having a good reputation, like a godly reputation, is better than riches. And so when you think about that, so if you take that from people, that's what slander does. And so really what that's like is it's like breaking into their house, stealing their wedding ring, their jewelry, their guns, and then taking off with their car. I mean, you're a thief. When, when you slander people, you're a thief. You're, you're a robber. You have a murderous heart trying to harm people and inflict damage. And, and it's so deceptible, deceptive because it doesn't seem violent, does it? Like, 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 there's all kinds of people that would never dream of, you know, bashing in someone's living room window, jumping in and carting off their stuff. But yet, but yet they would, they would slander. Under the guise of concern for them, probably. Like, nobody does it just, like, blatantly. Under the guise of, did you hear? What a shame. It's just so sad. When in reality, you're not sad. You're inwardly satisfied over the opportunity to diminish your enemy's value in the eyes of others. Proverbs 26, 28. By the way, Proverbs is full of this stuff. Proverbs 26, 28 says, A lying tongue hates its victims. It hates its victims. John Bloom said this. He said, Satan knows that slander deadens and splits churches, poisons friendships, fractures families. He knows slander quenches the Holy Spirit. It kills love. It short circuits spiritual renewal. It undermines trust and it sucks the courage out of the saints. And you, you know the most convincing argument of all to me, I think, is Jesus didn't do it. Like he didn't do it. And he could have. 
Like, does he not have tons of ammunition against us, right? Like, we do dumb stuff all the time, and he knows all of it. And, and yet, like, and one of my favorite things about what Jesus is doing right now, man, I love this. Right now, Romans 8 says, um, Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, he's alive. Who's at the right hand of God, that's where he's at. Who indeed is interceding for us. So, I mean, just look at it this way. Jesus is talking to the Father all the time about us. But he's not saying. Man, can you believe that, Jason? Did you, did you see his thoughts? Man, did, did you see what a mess he made? You see how weak he is? Jesus is not doing that. Though he could. But, but rather he's interceding. He's praying for me. Ephesians 4.29, one of my favorite verses, says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that you may give grace to those who hear. Uh, I, I quoted the NASB. ESV says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I mean, that, that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus', Jesus words build up, right? They build up. Jesus said a couple things that are pretty scary in Matthew 12. Matthew 12, 34, he said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in other words, whenever it's coming out of your mouth, it's an indication of what's in your heart. Which again, that's one of the purposes of Psalm 15 is when we find this stuff coming out of our mouths, that's when we drop to our knees immediately and we repent. Like the word of God ought to pierce us and we repent because we realize, man, I am not right with God. I'm not being led by the Spirit. I'm not believing the truth of Jesus. And we repent. And we ask the Holy Spirit to enable us to speak words of truth. And then the second scary thing is Matthew 12, 36. Jesus says, there'll be judgment. Let me read that. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. That's got to be in the top five scariest verses in the Bible right there. Now, Jesus never lies. And so that's going to happen. Now, let me tell you what's even scarier. Facebook. Twitter. You know, you know why? You know, it used to be that, let's say you got in a bad spot. You know, got in a fight with your spouse or, you know, your best friend betrayed you. They didn't show up at your pampered chief party or what i don't know you know something like that you know and so so you in a in a mad kind of fury you're you're blasting them okay it used to be you were limited to your your scope of immediate people that you would feel comfortable calling and letting loose on right so let's say you're you're a high capacity friend person like you're you're at the top uh the very top the one top one percent of like you know, friend people, okay? And so you've got 20 people. That, that'd be really high, 20 people. And you, you're, you've got nothing to do all day, okay? But get on and speed dial, you know, and let them rip. And let's just say that you're so far from the Lord that you do that 20 times before getting convicted over your, your sin. That's 20 people you got to give an account for. Now, 
here's the scary thing about today. You get the same level of anger, but the first thing you do is take a 30 seconds to blast on social media. And now your judgment involves a thousand people. Even if you repent quick, man, you've already brought condemnation upon yourself. That's something to consider when, when you think about social media. Last thing. Man, this is one of the best ones, too. Uh, we don't have much time. So we're going to skip to um, verse 4. Okay, so verse 4 says, In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. And then look, look at this. Who swears to his own hurt and does not change. All right, hear that? Who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Now, what, what is that talking about? That, that, that's saying that the blameless person keeps the promises that he speaks. One of the other things that you're going to use your mouth for is to make commitments, right? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna make promises. You're going to make commitments. You're going to make pledges. You're going you're gonna to say, I'll help. I'll support. I'll be there. I'll do this. I'll buy this. I'll, I'll whatever. And when we do so, normally we do because the agreement seems favorable to us. It looks like it'll be a good thing. There'll be sufficient benefit. The cost is not too high. That's why we make commitments, right? We're always weighing, okay, the benefits will be this much. All right, that looks good. The cost to me will only be this much. All right, that looks good. And so we make the commitment, right? But then what happens? Things change, don't they? Circumstances happen. You know, life happens. And the commitment again begins to work out to our disadvantage. You know, and all of a sudden now we're getting decreasingly less in our commitment, and it's costing us increasingly more. The difficulty level of keeping that commitment grows over time, and then there's this subtle pressure to get out, right? To be free of our obligation, to find a better agreement, one that's more favorable to us. But but here's what Psalm 15 is saying. It's God's will that you keep your word. When When you speak your word, it's God's, God's will that you keep it even when it hurts. It's sin to constantly go back on your word because things got hard or because it cost you more than you thought it was going to cost you. When you give your word, when you enter agreement, when people are counting on you to do what you said, it is sin to choose your convenience over your commitment to God and your commitment to others. You know, this is one of the most marvelous characteristics of God, by the way. He's always faithful to do what he said. Genesis 12, he appears to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you, and, and I'm going to bless your family, and you're going to have I mean, descendants of stars of heaven and sand of the sea, and, and in you, here's my promise to you, Abraham, through your family, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And then what immediately happens? Abraham and all of his descendants begin to mess the thing up as badly as possible, right? For thousands of years, Okay, they are faithless, they're rebellious, they're offensive, they're difficult, they're stubborn, they're bullheaded, they're stupid, they're foolish. I mean, to the point where God almost destroys them several times. They've got to go into exile. But God keeps his promise. He does not change. He is faithful to his word. As he always will be. You can count on him. 
Not so with us. From people making verbal commitments to serve or help or take care of something or work in the nursery or buy a piece of property, all the way up to the highest of all human covenants, the marriage relationship. The norm with people today is, I'll keep my commitment until there's nothing in it for me, until it gets too hard, until something better comes along. I'll stay married until I'm not getting anything out of this and the trouble of having you around far outweighs any sort of benefit I'm receiving. Then I'm out. I'll keep my end of the bargain unless circumstances become too difficult or the payoff too low. Listen, if you're joined to Jesus, you can trust he will help you. People break their word because of this. They think that they'll get more by handling the situation on their own. There's this great story in 2 Corinthians, Second uh, Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 25. And so let me, let me set it up for you. Okay, so this king of Judah is going into battle. And he knows this is going to be tough. And so what he does is he hires 100,000 soldiers from the northern kingdom, from Ephraim, from Israel. Okay? Spends, uh, what's he spend? 75 talents, I believe. Of I think a talent was... Anyway, I think I figured it up as like 7,000 pounds of silver, <laughs> okay? He spends a bunch of money to buy 100,000 guys, you know, soldiers are not cheap. You know, I don't know if you've ever tried to buy them, but they're not cheap, you know? And so he spends, and then he gets all ready, and the prophet comes to him and says, oh, by the way, God says you can't use those guys you bought. <laughs> you got to go on your own and just trust me. And, and he's like, what? But I already bought them, you know? And, and. And then, I love this phrase. 2 Chronicles 25, uh, 9. And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what should we do about the hundred talents that I've given to the army of Israel? The man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. See, so he, he's thinking, man, how do I get out of this contract? How do I get my money back? We, we just need to go ahead and use them because I bought them. And... And the man of God says, don't you believe that God can give you more than you can get yourself? So, so the end of this psalm, Psalm 15, notice the last verse, last phrase. He who does these things shall never be moved. See, there's your promise. There's your promise. There's this element of, all this is really about trusting God, Right? Trusting God to take care of you rather than creating a deception to get you out of trouble or creating a deception to fulfill your commitments or get you out of your commitments or use your money or influence to tilt things in your favor. So not slandering the person you are against or who is against you, not going back on your commitments when things don't go in your favor, not using your power, influence, or wealth to sway things in your favor. That would seem like, well, I'm going to lose out. But the Bible says, no, no, be like Jesus. And you'll never be moved. You won't be tossed around. You won't be discarded. You'll be on a solid foundation. God will take care of you. In other words, integrity is trusting that the reward for obeying God is far greater than the reward that comes from looking after yourself by compromising your convictions. Does that make sense? So when you're at that point and someone's hurt you and you're like, man, 
I've got influence with the people around him. I could tear him down and hurt him bad. Or you could just trust Jesus to take care of it, right? When you make that commitment and you've made that pledge and you've made that contract and now it's not going well for you, 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 could, you could find a way to break your word and get out of it and save yourself, so you think, or you could just trust Jesus to take care of you, right? That's that sure foundation. Guys, are, are you noticing? Again, we're going to start, we're going to finish where we started. Are you, are you noticing how Jesus is the ultimate picture of all these things? Jesus never makes himself out to be somebody he's not. Jesus never does things he's ashamed of or embarrassed of and so tries to cover it up. Jesus never creates a deception so that people won't know who he really is or what he really did. Jesus never makes a promise but then lacks incentive or isn't willing to pay the cost to come through on it. Jesus never manipulates you by saying things are worse or better than they are. Jesus always tells the truth. You can totally count on him. You can count on his word. You can build a firm foundation. You know, it's interesting. So I've been, I've been meditating on this thing for a couple weeks now. I started on the plane to uh, Germany several weeks ago. And then I switched to Psalm 67 because it was a missional passage last. So I've had a long time to think about this. And uh, it's had a lot of time to kick me around. You know, especially during the election season. Think, think of that. Like, I, I, was, I was in the middle of this, man. I couldn't talk bad about anybody, you know. And then I go to a Bible study yesterday with some guys. And we've been reading through uh, the, the pastoral epistles. And we're in Titus. We're in Titus 3. <laughs> we don't get very far, okay. L- listen to the second verse. Are you ready? Titus 3, 2. To speak evil of no one. Did you hear that? To speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. To be gentle. And to show perfect courtesy toward all people. So it's pretty easy to make out my application. And we actually kind of made a, we don't always do this, but we made a group kind of commitment. We said, all right, we're going to do this for a week. We're going to speak evil of nobody for a week. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, dude, what, like a week? Like, you know, next Sunday you're going to like let it all loose, you know? Right, on Monday, that guy, you know? No, 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 that's not the point. That's not the point. I mean, hopefully forever, okay? But you know what I found? When you, when you put a measurable time on things, it, it, it's easier to track, isn't it? Rather than just saying, okay, I'm going to do this forever, which you should, okay? But, but, but there's some accountability now because we're all going to come back next week and we're going to say, I, I, you know, actually, I, I already saw one of the guys this morning. I was like, how's it going? You know, it's been a day. Right? There's some accountability. So here's what I'd like to do. I, I'd like to draw you guys into this. Okay? Titus 3.2. Write it down. Titus 3.2. Okay? It's, it's a real easy verse. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and show perfect courtesy to all people. I mean, it fits right in with Psalm 15, doesn't it? Speak truth in your heart. Don't slander anybody. Keep your commitments. All right, so, so we're going to make that real simple and just Titus 3.2. Speak evil and no one. I'm, I'm going to come back next week and I'm going to say, how you do? How'd you do? If like nobody comes to church next week but the pastors, <laughs> then I'm going to. And they're here because they have to be, you know, that's going to be bad. But would you enter that with me? You know, 
And I, I know, you know, we had this discussion yesterday. You know, one of the guys was like, so what exactly is evil? You know, I mean, they, I mean there's times where you got, you know, and that's true. That's true. You, you got to work that. I mean, sometimes you have to say hard things to people. But you know what? I, I always know in my heart whether I'm saying this for somebody's benefit and because it has to be said or whether I'm saying it because I'm, I'm irritated or I'm mad. Let's do this. By the way, only by the power of Jesus, only by the Holy Spirit, right? Only because of Christ's righteousness already in you as a believer. If you're not a believer, you can't do this. You, just, you, can't, you can't change your own heart. Only Christ can do that. I, I'd invite you to, to come to Christ if you're not a believer. Let's pray. Father, help us uh, during this next week, God, to speak evil of no one. God, I pray that we'd speak truth in our hearts, that we would not slander. God, help us to swear to our own hurt and not change. Father, I, I pray, God, make us people of integrity. Make us like Jesus, like our King. Father, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand, please?